friends, in just a few moments, we are going to gather at the Lord's table. We call it the Lord's table because Jesus is the host, and he invites you to come with him to share the bread and the cup, which remind you of the body and the blood of Christ. Uh, The Word of God tells us to do that as often as we can in remembrance of him. But before we do, I want to share with you briefly an introductory message this morning about our series for the next two months. We are going to be focusing, as all of God's people should, on the good news of the gospel. My greatest desire in my life and for our church is that we be gospel-centered people. The gospel is the heart of what we are about. It's what saved us. It's what keeps us. It's the purpose and the focus of our lives. And yet, sometimes we have mission drift. We get off track. We get off focus. It's not the center of our lives. It's there. We love it. But sometimes it's taken for granted. It's not clearly thought about and enunciated. We know that gospel means good news, and so the whole series, I'm going to be asking the question and and hopefully uh, lighting a fire in each one of our hearts about the goodness of God's gospel, the goodness of the good news. So the whole series, we're going to be focusing on all of those things that make the good news so good. So we'll be talking and asking questions, what's so good about the good news. When it comes to the good news or the gospel itself, we don't do ourselves any favor in the English language. For instance, the word gospel. Well, you hear gospel and you say, well, isn't that those first four books of the New Testament? That's the gospel. Or isn't that my favorite style of music? Oh, I love gospel music. We're all about gospel. Or isn't that something that is just true? That's the gospel truth. Swear to God, gospel truth, hand to God. Whenever people use that kind of language, I know they're lying to me. You know, isn't that funny how those go together? But gospel, that's not even a proper English word. It's just something that it's stuck to it. Gospel is just the old Middle English medieval word for good news. It's originally God, not gos, but G-O-D-S, God's spell. Godspell, good news. God's is not God in heaven, it meant good. And spell meant a story. We still use that word. Man, Pastor Allen gets going as he will this morning about history. Oh, it's a long, complicated spiel. See, that's that word. We still use that word Scottish because uh, it means a reverie. Scotland, they used it for curling. In Three Hills this week, there was a bond spiel on That's spell, God, good, spell, good story, good news, the gospel. That's too much. That's a long ways to go. Like, why do we use that word? When the Bible never uses that word, it's translated as gospel, but that's not the word. And getting back to the original word and the meaning of it, the power and the impact of it, I think, can break in fresh and new. For instance, The Gospels in the New Testament weren't originally called the Gospels. Early church fathers, as they wrote about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they called them the memoirs of the apostles. You know, because they were writing about the past as they remembered their life with Jesus. And it wasn't until the second and third century of the church, early fathers like Justin Martyr and others, who began to call those first four books Gospels. 
the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Mark, etc. And they had a term. We see the word that gospel comes from throughout the New Testament. But every one of the gospel authors used it differently. In Matthew, he always stuck it alongside the, the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. John uses it differently. One uses it as a noun, other uses it as a verb. And then we get to Paul, and Paul says, it's the story of salvation, the story of Jesus. We sang this morning gospel songs. The story of salvation were in our songs. That's why they're gospel songs. At Calvary, we sang of being in ignorance and then hearing the good news and then accepting it and believing it and being saved. In history, he lived and died. He broke the chains. He rose to life. That's the gospel story. That's the good news. And we sing about it. And it causes our hearts to sing and to worship. But I think we need to be intentional when it comes to the gospel. To have it at the center of our beliefs and our life and our actions and our church. So we're going to be focusing on the gospel and all of the blessings Remember, Scripture says in the book of Psalms, O my soul, remember God's many benefits. Rejoice. Be intentional about remembering the benefits of the gospel. So, we're going to begin at the beginning. Whenever I start with something or read a book or try to understand something, I ask myself, what's the general major idea? And we're going to do that this morning briefly. What's the big idea? What's the big idea? gospel, good news. What is that really about? You know, in Jesus' culture, the good news of the gospel was very understandable to them. We can still understand it, but we have to be a little more intentional and dig in before we begin to get the power and meaning of the good news of the gospel. As I mentioned, it all boils down to those original languages, Old Testament, largely written in Hebrew, some Aramaic chapters, New Testament, Koine Greek, marketplace Greek, not the high-level philosopher Greek, but the Greek people spoke in the Agora, the marketplace, every day uh, that Jesus heard in his life in Galilee where they spoke Aramaic and Greek commonly. Well, the word there is euangelion. We'll see that. The meaning of of euangelion or evangelion in ancient times. I say euangelion because as you see, they're Greek. That's the Greek letters. To our eyes, it looks like the backwards three is an epsilon, an E. And the second one is the letter U. Upsilon is what they call it in Greek. So really, if we transliterate that, it should be euangelion. Now the word, if you look closely at it, there's a couple things look like Y's. Well, those are actually two gammas. And when two gammas are together, the first one sounds like the letter N. So it really, the Latins transliterated it all as evangelium. It makes a little more sense. It sounds more like evangelism to us. Because we take that great Greek word, kind of run it through Latin, and then bring it straight into English. But right in the middle, and you see it in the Latin word, what's that word in the middle? Angel. That's the key to it. To unlock the meaning of it is angel. Now, the first two letters, ooh, 
Angelion, that is a prefix which means good, glad, great, positive. So this is positive, good, great, glad news. Not just any news, but good news. There's news neutral, and there's bad news, and there's good news. And the meaning of good news and that word, euangelion, both as a noun as you see it there and as a verb, had special meaning in ancient times. Let's look at the definition. I like to refer to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Gospel from euangelion in there, as we have a definition, the noun form, part of that definition reads, it meant originally... Not the good news, but the reward offered to a messenger, and that's what angel means, remember? Offered to a messenger who brought news of victory in battle or escape from danger. And by a natural transference, it came to mean the content of the message, the good news that that messenger brought. That is, not simply news, but good news good news. Did you catch that? There was an angel, an angelos, a messenger. Heavenly messengers are why angels are called that, messengers from God. But it was a, any messenger, human messenger, who brought you good news. And oh, what a blessing it is to bring good news. You know, I was reading recently, they teach doctors, or they try to, doctors, nurses, people in medicine, how to break bad news in a good way, a positive way. You can do it abruptly, cold-heartedly, and crush somebody. Here's your diagnosis. It's terrible. And they just tell them, and, and it makes it even worse. But good news, you don't see a class taught on that because we all want to break good news. Uengelion. Think of the times in your life where you had good news and you were bursting to share it and how joyful it was to share it. Oh, you've got to hear this. I remember making a phone call. It's a long time ago because I had to get coins out and drop them in and this and that. Made a phone call. No cell phones in those days. And I called my parents and Faye's parents. And I told them, it's a boy. Baby and mother are safe and doing well. What joyful news. Would have been just as happy if it was a girl, but let's be honest, it was a boy. <laughs> My dad, oh, he wanted a boy. He wanted a grandson. And then the next one, uh, it's a boy. And the third one, yeah, another boy. You know, it just wasn't quite as exciting, but, you know, by then, you know, we had dresses and names for girls, but God didn't bless us with a daughter, so we had to have daughter-in-laws and lots of good granddaughters. But, oh, the joy, it's a boy. Imagine you're a doctor, a cancer doctor, an oncologist, how refreshing it is to you to be able to come into the room and say, you know all these scans you've been going through, treatments worked, full remission, you're cancer free, oh, the weight lifted, good news, oh, the joy of sharing good news. I remember as a boy in 1969, the month of July, it was summer, so I was home watching the old television while 
the first men landed on the moon. And they didn't know. I remember they said, we don't know how deep the moon dust is. The lander, if it lands, one leg could sink down and they won't be able to blast off. They'll be stranded. This is a dangerous time. We won't hear from them as they're landing. And it was quiet and everyone's waiting. And then you hear the voice of Neil Armstrong. Houston, the eagle has landed. Good news. Ah, the joy of that. Well, in the ancient world, that word, euangelion, it was special. And I have an example of how it was used. Amazingly, this is called the Priene inscription. Uh, You see it there, that giant stone block. Originally, it was in that town you see on the left side. It's it's a Greek city in modern-day Turkey, right on the coast, the western coast of modern-day Turkey. And it was a bustling Greek city called Priene. But, you know, over time, the Greek cities were then taken over by the Roman Empire, and they became Roman cities. Well, if you wanted to communicate something in those days before mass communication, you would carve it in stone and place those enormous stones in the marketplace, the Agora. There's the Acropolis of Priene in the background. There were temples on top of that in the ancient days. But the average person, they all went to the marketplace, and they would stand and they would read these inscriptions. Now, this inscription was special because the Romans were now in charge. Not just that, but there was an emperor now. Remember, recently we talked about Augustus, the kings of Christmas. Augustus went from being a consul to Emperor Augustus. Octavian was given the name Augustus, a divine name, and he was recognized as a human god. Not only that, but this inscription, which is now in the Berlin Museum told the people that throughout the Roman Empire, they were changing the calendars. Guess what day was going to be the first day of every year? Augustus's birthday. And the announcement, believe it or not, as we discover this inscription, and since then we've discovered two more copies of this in other cities, it was that important, they all had to change their calendars. The good news of salvation, political, economic, security coming from the divine Augustus. Listen to this announcement of good news because we find the word euangelion carved right there. Listen to what it sounds like. Here's part of the translation. They talk about providence, which is divine godlike protection of the Roman people. It says, since providence, which ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for your descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the good news, the euangelion, the good tidings for the world that has come by reason of him. I bring you glad tidings of great joy for the Savior Augustus has arrived. Salvation in Augustus, political salvation, security, the end of wars, the end of poverty has arrived. The God Augustus 
is here and his kingdom is inaugurated. And that's why their calendars are all going to start on his birthday. Now, remember, this was in 9 B.C., less than five years before the birth of Jesus. And with the birth of Jesus, we hear the use of the word euangelion very similarly in the Gospel of Luke. As the angels announce, do not be afraid. I bring you euangelion. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not saying that the two are connected, that somehow the gospel writers or the angels copied the Romans announcing the new emperor, the savior of the human god Augustus. But you see, it's exactly the same way they use the word. These are the great tidings, good news of salvation, whether after a victorious battle or healing from a dreaded disease, the good news of was so good. So good. Well, just to drive the point home, three quick examples of euangelion, of good news, and the power of it from history. Historically good, good news. Now, in the old days, remember, before mass media, newspapers, if you didn't have a marketplace with a stone carved on it, you had the town crier. He had a bell, and you see the bell sitting on the table. And he would say things like, hear ye, hear ye. Back in the old days in the cities, they would print an extra edition of a newspaper if it wasn't morning or evening edition. And the news was so important, an extra edition. And the little newsboys would yell, extra, extra, read all about it good news. Well, so often in the newspaper, it's not good, is it? It's bad news. But oh, historical good news. Three quick ones. First, the Battle of Marathon. Marathon. The Battle of Marathon was, took place in the Greek town of Marathon on the coast. The first great invasion of Greece by the enormous empire of the Persians. The Persians, remember, are the ones that destroyed and defeated the Babylonians and allowed God's people to come back to Israel and rebuild the temple and be part of the Persian Empire. Well, the Persian Empire ran up against early Greek civilization. They said, we're going to take you over too. And the Greeks were terrified because the Persians, led by Darius the Mede, had never been defeated. Well, Darius finally was fed up with Greek interference in his empire, and they invaded Greece in mass. Now, in Greece, they were city-states. They weren't unified. And the two great city-states were Athens and Sparta. Sparta was the military power. Athens, philosophy, that type of thing. Not known for military prowess. But Marathon, where the... Persians landed was only about 25, 26 miles from Athens. And that's where they were going to invade and destroy Athens first. So the little Athenian army led by Greek soldiers and their little armor and their formations called a phalanx, they met the Persians and they held them off. They sent messengers, Sparta, come help. And Sparta said, sorry guys, we're busy. We got this big religious festival. You're on your own. We'll get there eventually. Just try to keep the Persians at bay easier said than done. There may have been 10,000 
Athenian soldiers with a few from Plataea, but there were upwards of 100,000 Persians on their doorstep. But you know, once the cavalry, which the, 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 the Greeks were so afraid of, it reembarked in their ships because this wasn't good ground for cavalry, they saw that movement and they attacked. The Greeks attacked. The Persians couldn't believe it. The whole world was afraid of them and suddenly these Greek soldiers not only attacked, but they were running at them. They ran at them, the historians say. All of the eyewitnesses said the, 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 the Medes and the Persians just couldn't believe what was happening. And Emperor Darius, he said, this is insane. Something's going on. This little group, we outnumber them 10 to 1. What are they doing? Well, the Greeks in the middle were defeated and the Persians surged forward, but the strength of the Greeks was in the sides and they wrapped around the Persian army and attacked it from all sides and the Persians panicked. And they began to run for their ships and they were cut down from behind. Unbelievably, Marathon was an enormous victory for the Athenians without any help from Sparta. And it set them on course to become the great Greek civilization that we know. The unbelievable news of that triumph. Well, there's a legend that says they sent a messenger and he ran, and that's what that statue's remembering. He ran that 26 miles from Marathon to Athens to tell them the good news of the victory that they've been delivered from certain destruction. Well, the legend says the runner, Philippides, he ran and he died as he gave the good news. Well, it's a legend. It puts some things together. But in the late 1800s, when the modern Olympics were invented, the first modern Olympics was held in Athens. And they were struggling to come up with something that would link the modern sports games to the ancient Greek civilization. So, well, let's have a race, a long road race. Let's reenact the runner coming from Marathon to deliver the good news. So the first Olympic marathon was ran from Marathon to Athens. And that distance became the distance of all marathons since about 26 miles. Isn't that incredible? The good news was delivered that they were saved. Similarly, but much more recently, was the dispatch from the victory of Wellington at Waterloo, when Napoleon was defeated. Now, this was the last Ewangelion, the last historic announcement of good news before modern technology, before even steam engines before electricity and telegraph. It was all done by hand. Well, if you know the story, Napoleon, for 15, 20 years, he had been trying to conquer all of Europe. And all the countries were worn down. Finally, Napoleon was exiled. But he came back. And for three months, he rebuilt his army. And then he attacked the Allies. He marched from France into Belgium, caught them all by surprise. And the Duke of Wellington overseeing a slapped-together group of uh, soldiers from all different countries, he fought Napoleon. And the news went back to England, to London, to the Prince Regent that battle was engaged. Napoleon and Wellington finally for the first time had met, and neither of these men had ever lost battles. What was going to happen? Well, for day after day, no news came. Because the victory that was won was given the dispatch and two golden eagles from the, from the standards of the French army were given to Major uh, Harry Percy. Go like the wind, Harry. Ha <laughs> ha, he jumped on his horse, 
First, he ran into Brussels. It was packed full of refugees. Couldn't get through Brussels, the city. Finally, he got through the city. Took him another 20 hours because of people on the road. Everyone wanted to hear the news, stopping him. Finally made it to the coast. And he's only 350 kilometers from Waterloo to London. So he finally got on a ship. Sail like the wind. But there was no wind. The sail got, they got onto the English Channel and the ship stopped. It just wallowed there. So finally, they could see the coastline 20 miles away. And Percy said, let's get in a rowboat. So four sailors rowed, row oar power for 20 miles, got them to the British coast. Then they commandeered a stagecoach, and they went all night. When you figure it out, it, they traveled about, it averaged out to five kilometers an hour walking distance. That's how long it took them to get there. Finally, they get to... Downing Street. No, you got to go to Grosvenor Square where the ministers are. Yep, the victory. Well, you got to go where the prince is, the prince regent, the prince of Wales. You got to tell him the good news. And that's the picture of him coming in and laying down those standards. 11 o'clock at night, three days it took. Victory. And he threw down the standards and he says, Victory, victory is yours. That's the uniform on the chair there. That's the actual uniform. At first, everyone saw him because his uniform, he was covered in mud and blood. They were sure it was a defeat. But it was victory. The monster Napoleon was vanquished once and for all. Imagine the good news that came years later. January 1st, 1863, when President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. The Civil War had been going now for a few years. And Lincoln always said, this is not a war over slavery because he had some states that had slavery on the side of the Union rather than the Confederate secessionists. So he didn't want to alienate them. But finally, he says, we have to free the slaves. That's really what we're fighting about. But we have to do it after a positive victory because the Union had lost every battle till the bloody battle of Antietam in September of 1862. Lincoln says, now I can free the slaves. So he put together the Emancipation Proclamation. It wasn't passed by Congress. It wasn't a law. It was a presidential pardon. He freed 3 million enslaved African Americans with a stroke of a pen. And before the end of the war, 200,000 African Americans were serving in blue in the Union Army. Imagine that. Getting the news as it leaked out. Telegraph, riders, word of mouth. They were free. Lincoln had set them free. The last good news that any of them longed for or expected. Well, friends, those are all historical examples of Evangelion. We take our gospel good news. We say, it's that. It's that big. It's that important. But it's even greater. Because it's not political salvation. It's not release from human bondage. As we sang today, it's release from the bondage of sin and death. It's the good news. And you may think to yourself, well, I've received it, but have I ever communicated it? As we saw a couple weeks ago, the Bible says you're an ambassador. You have been entrusted with something more precious than the 
eagles of Napoleon, or the news of the vanquishing of the Persians, you have good news to share. And the people are dying to receive it. And unless you share the gospel, they are going to be lost in sin and death. So in these next two months, we are going to confront fresh and new what's so good about the good news. The angels said, I bring you euangelion. I bring you glad tidings. I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all the people. And Jesus himself, he said, that good news is about him. It's not about Caesar. It's about him. There was an amazing passage in Isaiah chapter 61 that said, someday God's anointed one, the Messiah, is going to bring the good news. It's going to bring salvation. And we close before the communion table with that passage in Luke again, just two chapters further on. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to the synagogue. And the reading for that day is that chapter from Isaiah. We begin reading in Luke chapter 4. I'll begin in 16. It says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled it up, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Because he was preaching, proclaiming victory, salvation, deliverance, freedom. He was the fulfillment of the good news. Friends, today we echo that good news at the communion table. We have been set free by the body of Jesus freely given to the cross on our behalf. By the blood of Christ, the precious Lamb of God, shed for us. His birth, His death, His resurrection. Cornerstones of that good news. This is the beginning. What's so good about the good news It's an epic story. We're going to be speaking more about it in the weeks ahead. As we come to the communion table, Scripture tells us that uh, before you bring your gift to the altar, gives an example of that. Before you come to God in a special way, before you bring your gift to the altar, before you commune with the Lord, says if you have anything against your brother, go and make it right. We know that if we have unconfessed sin, hinders our relationship with the Lord. So I'd like to spend a brief moment just taking stock and in prayer as we come to the table to prepare our hearts to joyfully receive that good news, fresh and new. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the good news. Lord, our English words, good news, glad tidings, 
They don't do justice to the ancient phrase, Evangelion. Lord, that is life-changing news. It's life-giving news. It's the news that people would even give their lives to be able to share. And with the sharing of the good news, there came rich reward. And Father, your word tells us that you long to reward your children for sharing the good news of God's love with those around us. Lord, may today we be awakened to our privilege to share the good news. And now, Father, as we come to the table of the Lord, we remember what's at the heart of the good news is that you gave us your only son and that, Lord, he gave his life on our behalf. We who were lost in sin, helpless to take care of our sins, we couldn't repay them. But Jesus, the sinless one, he died in our place. And that, Father, through faith in him and his sacrifice for us, we're saved. Our sins are forgiven. We're cleansed. We're adopted as children of God into your very family. So, Lord, we need to remember that and the high price Jesus paid for us as we commit ourselves fresh and new, Lord, to be ambassadors of the good news of God. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, at this time, I'll call upon the servers to come forward. Join me at the table. Be reading from the familiar passage, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Paul wrote to them of the table of the Lord, which had been a struggle for them. Remember, they had been partaking of the Lord's Supper as part of a communion and a love feast that they would gather together like an early church potluck. A potluck, unfortunately, that they didn't share their food with one another. The poor went hungry, the rich had plenty. And so Paul corrects them. And in doing that, he tells them to set aside the bread and the cup for everyone for that time of communion. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This time I'll call upon Vern to give thanks for the bread, which recalls to us the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the good news. Thank you that you gave up everything and you put your body on the cross and died there for us. So, Lord, just thank you for what you've done for us. Amen.
God's Word tells us that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup. I'll call upon Marlon to give thanks for the cup, which recalls to us the blood of Christ shed for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die in our place. And as we take this cup, we're reminded of that tremendous sacrifice that he made for us. And so we thank you for this reminder. Amen. The Bible says that in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Friends, stand with me as we're dismissed in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that the good news, Lord, the good news is still so good. Lord, you are still saving lives by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus' love for us, his birth, his perfect life, his death for us on the cross, his resurrection on Easter morning. Lord, he is at your right hand interceding for your people today. Lord, this good news, it's for sharing. May we leave this place of worship, of learning from your word, and Lord, may we go to a hurting world as ambassadors, as messengers, 
as the angels of the good news. We do that, Father. We look forward to your blessing and reward for doing it. For that good news is too good to keep to ourselves. Dismiss us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 